Welcome to The Jewelry District, a podcast by JCK. Today, Rob Bates and Victoria Gamelski talk with Sheila Bays, CEO and founder of Gem and Jewel and owner of Sheila Bays Fine Jewelers. Hey everyone, welcome to The Jewelry District. This is Victoria Gamelski, Editor-in-Chief of JCK and jckonline.com. I'm with Rob Bates, news director of JCK and jckonline.com. How you doing? Okay? You good? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. It's um yeah, things feel like they're really springing open here. I'm I'm I've been talking about Vegas for I feel like days now with people in the industry and asking who's going, who's not, and uh it seems like a, a good number of my my good friends are going to be there and I'm super excited to to see them. I'm curious what we're all going to do with masks when we're in Vegas. I don't know if you mm-hmm. thought about that much. I don't know. I it I guess it depends where we are in in August. Um they now say you don't have to wear them if you're vaccinated, so we'll we'll I guess we'll just have to see. They'll probably play it cautious, I I would guess, but Yeah. Yeah, perhaps the show will be will be masked up, but maybe walking around. See, the problem is you're never really outdoors in Vegas, even if you kind of have the vibe of being outdoors like at the Venetian with that blue sky, quote unquote, you're not actually technically outdoors. And considering all the smoke, it's probably good to wear a mask anyway in Vegas. That's true. And all those sort of weird manufactured perfume smells. Yes. yes. But I'm really looking forward to, to smelling them, I must say. I'm looking forward to all the things I used to kind of dread. <laughs> well, anyway, we could babble on about this. One person that I actually met in Vegas, um, I guess it's been a couple of years now, who is joining us today from Lexington, Kentucky, is Sheila Bays, owner, longtime owner, owner over 28 years now. She founded Sheila Bays Fine Jewelers in Lexington. She's got a really interesting business and a, and a really interesting side business called Gem and Jewel that we're going to hear all about. It helps retailers get online. Welcome, Sheila. It's so nice to have you. Thank you. It's so nice to, to be with you and Robin. Yes, it was a couple of years ago. I think we had some cocktails with Mark Smelter. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, he, he's spoken so, so highly of you over the years. And I know he's done a lot of work with you. And you might be able to fill us in in a little bit about how you continue to work with him. But of course, we, we have such high regard for Mark and anyone he... Like I said, he's spoken really highly about you. So when we met a couple of years ago, I already knew a little bit about your story. And of course, come to think of it, I must have met you in 2018 when you were in Vegas and you won the JCK Think Tank competition, but I'm getting ahead of myself. (laughs) One of the reasons we wanted to have you on, Sheila, is because obviously the digital experience and online sales have been so critical over the past year and critical for the way this industry moves forward. And you seem to have, you know, really, you had started working on that and figuring that out a few years ago, or maybe even longer. But we want to go back, back, back in time and tell us, like, what is your background? Are you are you from Kentucky originally? And, and how did you come to found this business in a three decades ago must have been a really hard time to, to be a woman owned business in the South? Oh, absolutely. Well, I am from Kentucky originally. I'm actually from a small town in eastern Kentucky called Paintsville. And our claim to fame is Chris Stapleton and Loretta Lynn are both from Paintsville. And and we make amazing apple butter as well. So uh, I've lived in Lexington since high school and college days. But uh, I first started working in the jewelry industry Right out of high school, I worked for someone for 10 years, a place called Carrot Patch, 
and went from sales to buyer to management. And we had a gentleman that, that was an absentee owner. He lived in Hawaii. So I really was able to learn the ropes in terms of what's needed to run, run a store. And when he decided to close that store, you know, at 27, I decided that I could do this myself. And, you know, the, the ignorance of youth it definitely comes in handy that you don't know what you're up against. You don't know what you don't know. And uh, Victoria, if anything, I would say I'm too stubborn to give up on an idea. So that's kind of what started the story of how I have been in, involved in the industry since I was 17. Wow. God. Wow. And then, so what was the, what was the store initially? I mean, this was, I guess, hey, years ago, let me do the math. I guess it was the eighties or nineties, early nineties. Yeah, it was eighties, eighties. Yes. You're figuring it out. I graduated high school in 83, went to university of Kentucky and started working at a jewelry store at that time. But the funny thing is, I will tell you a great story. Uh, we were at in New York on a buying trip. And this was when David Yearman was just getting started and he was out in front selling himself. And the owner of the store said, I can't believe you expect me to purchase $25,000 worth of jewelry. You're never going to last in this industry. That's just crazy. And here we are all these years later and he's not in the industry, but David Yearman's still going strong. Oh yeah. Oh my famous last words, huh? Exactly. Wow. So you, um, I'm still stuck on the fact that at a time when you were in your mid twenties, when most people are still sort of struggling, trying to figure things out that you're there ready to take over this business and make it your own. So when you founded your own business, was it like on a main street? What was, what was the kind of location you were at and, and what did you sell? Luckily, you know, I believe in doing life changes all at once, Victoria. I had been married. So that year I I got a divorce and I started my business and I didn't even have a savings account at the time. So customers of mine that were bankers, customers for years, loaned me some money. I had my brother loan some money and luckily I'd established a lot of great relationships in the prior 10 years working in jewelry and a lot of those vendors believed in me. And so I started out actually in, in the big mall that we have in Lexington. It was in the new section of the mall. And that was really at the time when malls really started to change. So I was there for about a year and was able to sell my lease to a chain store. And then I moved downtown Lexington and I stayed there until I moved just a couple of years ago. And how many stores were there in, in Lexington, big jewelry stores at that point? There's not, you know, as far as independence, and of course, you guys know Bill Farmer. He's very involved in the industry. Mm -hmm. His store is here. And from Carrot Patch, it's pretty interesting. There were four of us that left Carrot Patch and started our own store when it closed. And we do have some majors, but, you know, being on this side of the pandemic, even some of those have closed. Mm. You know, we have survived, you know, almost three decades, which is hard to say out loud. <laughs> and, you know, we all seem to, to work well together, the independence for sure. Wow. Um, so I'm tempted to sort of speed up to 2018 because I think that was a big year for you. But between 28 years ago and 2018, I mean, like you survived the financial crisis. That seems like in and of itself a victory. Like, how did you survive all those years? Well, you know, Victoria, I think the thing that small businesses do so well is you pivot. 
so you can survive. Mm -hmm. At the time, you know, gold buying became such a big deal. I was a little late to the game, but um, Mark Motes said, you need to fly to Timonium. I'll show you how to do it. And once he did that, I actually had two gold buying places in Lexington. I had one in Cincinnati. I had one in Louisville and I had one in Asheville, North Carolina. So during that time, we didn't just survive. We really thrived. I mean, we really made enough money to pay down debt and to keep expanding. So I think that's what that's what independent retailers do. You have to pivot and change or you go by the wayside. But before we started this, we mentioned that it was relatively unusual at that time for a woman to start her own jewelry business. And you said, I could tell you some stories. So um, you can leave the names out, but are there any stories you uh, wish to share? I will share one leaving the names out. But at the time, a very popular designer that's still in the jewelry business. And uh, we had had sold very well at Carrot Patch. And when I went to Vegas the first year, he looked at me and he said, well, honey, where's your husband? Where's your father? And I'm like, I have neither. And he patted me on the hand and he said, you just come back and see me again in a couple of years. <laughs> and that moment was kind of like that moment in Pretty Woman, you know, where Julia Roberts comes back in later on and she's holding the bags and she says, you know, big mistake. Yeah. <laughs> um, to this day, that designer still is trying to get in my store and I still have not let him in. Good for you. It's really remarkable. I mean, especially to endure, you know, it's a business of, of you got to endure. It's, it's, there's been a lot to endure. And especially lately, I, I wanted to ask you about, you kind of alluded to it. It was this move you made. So you'd been in downtown Lexington for the bulk of the history of your business. Why did you, you moved to like a lifestyle center, right? On the kind of how far out of town is it? Lexington's not very large, and so, I mean, it's probably not 10 miles from downtown, but it's definitely a world away. Rupp Arena, where my store was located in downtown Lexington, it was getting ready to go through a major renovation, and all the shops were leaving Mm. or being forced to leave because they were being torn out. So I looked for years trying to find the right location I went to this lifestyle center, and since then, I actually moved last September from that lifestyle center, and we had an opportunity to move a mile away, and it used to be an anthropology store that 10,000 plus square feet. That in and of itself, because the space is gorgeous, but the big bonus, it's beside of a total wine. I will tell you, we all should have been in the wine and liquor business this past 12 months. Um, yes. Because we have had, this is the first time I've been beside of a store that we've actually been able to gauge traffic from that store itself. Wow. It has a lot of business, the wine store. Yes. Do you have total wine up north? We definitely have it in LA. I don't think so. I don't think I've never heard of it. So is, is it like a chain, a wine chain? It's wine and liquor and they carry, you know, other products in, but it is absolutely amazing to me that from the time they open till the time they close the amount of traffic. And there have been two sizable sales over thirty thousand dollars to two different couples that had never purchased 
from us before that we're going into total wine. Oh my God, that's pretty amazing. I mean, yeah, they had a few drinks, I guess. Well, I'm just saying if anyone's thinking about opening up a jewelry store, locate the nicest liquor store in your community and <laughs> see if you can be beside of it. It's been amazing. Oh my God, that's amazing. So, so all this, so in the pandemic, so you'd moved to this original lifestyle center in 2018 and then in the heart of the pandemic, you move a mile away to this locally owned center. Is it another lifestyle center too? Or is that how you describe it? It's more of a very upscale strip center. And I hate to even say the word strip center because it's so upscale. It's it doesn't feel like a typical strip center. And like I say, it goes back to my philosophy of trying to shop locally and support local and it makes the difference. Well, so how did that pandemic go for you? I mean, how was 2020? We heard so much about jewelry actually performing quite well or certainly better than expected. What was your experience? I found that, and one of my closest friends is a divorce attorney. Either people are getting married or they're getting divorced from the pandemic, you know, from being locked down together. We have sold more engagement rings, more upgrades on diamonds, more anniversary. This has been the year of, I think, the classics. You know, we've sold big diamond stud earrings. It's been very much a diamond-focused 12 months for us. And do you sell lab-grown at all or...? Yes. And really, we never made the decision like some retailers of, no, I'm not going to do it. We always want to give our consumer or customer what they want. So we have done it, but I've seen a tremendous amount of lab growth in the past 12 months. It's definitely increased and and more so in big diamond studs. Hmm. We have sold some in engagement rings as well, but I, I see it more in larger that earrings. Uh, but I assume most, are most of the engagement rings still traditional diamonds or? Most of them are traditional diamonds. Although this past year, one of my favorite sales that I had was to um, these two wonderful women getting engaged and married. And we picked out a beautiful sapphire for one and a beautiful ruby for the other, which I love seeing people express themselves, you know, in, in whatever way they're comfortable with. So that was that was exciting for me to do. And, you know, it was exciting to make a statement. You know, Lexington is very small and we've early on been very gay, lesbian friendly and have advertised to them. So the fact that we're having those types of sales makes me very happy. Wow, that's great. I mean, it's smart, super smart and obviously the right the right way to do business. Um, so during the pandemic, other than selling a lot of big diamonds and sort of the classics. Did you implement any changes that you actually think you might stick with? You know, when we moved from the one location to the location we are currently and obviously getting our internet up and running and working very closely to make sure all of that happened very concisely and very quickly, you know, we really did focus a lot on our e-commerce business. And I have to say that through the holidays, uh, I can't imagine. I mean, we, we were able to do, and I hate to use numbers, but I want people to know how important it was for us. We did over $100,000 in November and December wow. and into January just in online sales. 
And we continue, will continue to uh, develop that aspect of the business, of course. The online sales, were they mostly local or were you able to kind of branch out a little bit? You know, Rob, most of them were local. And even when they weren't local, they were customers that had moved away. So I had sales in Tennessee. I had sales in California. I had sales in New York. But these were all people that I'd had an original connection with when they lived here. My belief about online is you can definitely reach a broader audience. That's for sure. But it helps you service the people that are already loyal clients that want to buy something. Mm. And, you know, the very first sale I had when we had e-commerce was to a guy who had never purchased anything from me before. He lived like 10 miles away from the store. And the very first sale on my site, once we were up and running, was $1,700. And I was so excited. Of course, I immediately look and see if I have him in our point of sale system. And we didn't. But when I talked to him, you know, I asked him, I said, thank you very much. What made you decide to buy something from us online? And he said, well, you're very well known in the community. You're trusted. I always want to support local, but I only buy online. Hmm. What year was that? That was two and a half years ago. Oh, so you're pretty new to e-commerce. You've really taken taken e-commerce and ran with it, but it hasn't been that long then. No, it really hasn't been, you know, going back to Jim and Jewel and this concept, you know, I've worked on this business model, Victoria, for 10 years, and it takes a long time to build a full marketplace. And I can explain that to you, but, you know, so it's been trial and error and what works and what doesn't. And I feel like this is what my whole life has led being able to do something like this and to help independent retailers. So tell us about Gem and Jewel. I was introduced to it in 2018 when you were a sort of an entrant in JCK's Think Tank competition, which is something we started doing at the show every year in Vegas, where we invite people to, I guess, apply to have their invention or some version of innovation. And it varied really across the map. There were all kinds of different things that people submitted. Some of them were digital apps. Others were literally sort of tools and things that jewelers could use in store to help sell. But you won in 2018 for this aggregator business, Gem and Jewel. But why don't you tell us in your own words, like what's your elevator pitch about Gem and Jewel? So Gem and Jewel was originally developed to level the playing field for independent retailers, especially, you know, you mentioned the financial crisis in 2008. You know, most independents really streamline their business operations. And most independents don't have the bandwidth in terms of of people or skills to really know how to effectively have an e-commerce website. You, You know, going from the photography to keeping everything updated, changing things around, even processing credit cards and fraud and and all of this. So initially, it was a platform that could literally manage thousands and thousands of independent retailers e-commerce for them from creating their website to populating both with the inventory they had, but also with our wholesaler inventory. So with Jim and Jewel, it actually gives you the opportunity to have wholesalers list their inventory online. They're in full, complete control of their brand identity. They will populate it with what inventory they have. So we still keep and honor those relationships 
that wholesalers and retailers have. And how, how many people do you have, or how many jewelers, I should say, are on your system right now? We have about 30 retailers, and this has kind of been this past year, Rob, has been very much, uh, let's see how, how this can scale up. But we've just recently started working with Jewelers Mutual to be a part of the Zing platform. It's a brand new development that we're partnering with them to be able to, to move forward because they see the need for independence to have a, a strong presence in this industry and to keep going in regards to e-commerce. And that's obviously bridged also, I should add, by Mark Smelzer, our beloved former publisher who's now with Jewelers Mutual. I, I assume his relationship with you played some part in you coming to Jewelers Mutual? Let me tell you, I think Mark Smelzer is one of my favorite people, and I could not say enough good things about him to anyone who would listen. <laughs> so, you know, I think an important thing, Victoria, is content. You know, we've got to be able to drive traffic through content, and it's so hard to do as an independent retailer. You know, so we're working on plans to have content that we could push to retailers e-commerce sites. We're working on a marketing campaign that will filter through Jim and Jewel, but will push the consumers to the independent retailers website as well. So one issue that I've heard about online, um, and this is more for maybe for national brands, but I was wondering if it's true for local brands is that what they call the customer acquisition costs of advertising on Facebook and with search and with social ads, the, the cost has really gone up. And in some cases, the cost is more than than you actually pay for the customer. Is that is that kind of an issue with some of the local jewelers you deal with? You know, what I have found, Rob, is that locally, and this is not including the national campaigns that we'll be doing and implementing, but locally, I have found that our customer base is really our customer base. You can increase that. You can We've done a couple of things to try to see what pushes traffic through. We've done some promotions where people have to go to the website and sign up. Facebook has definitely, I think, become very muddied. I think so has Instagram. It's very hard to be a big fish in a big pond and try to get that. So we try to concentrate in thinking outside the box about how to drive traffic to our website and how to get customers to engage with us on social media and and be able to bring some of those best practices to the rest of the independent retailers. And can you share some of those ideas? Yeah. You know, one of the things that we've done and we actually did trademark is a concept called career carrots. So we've had people come to our website and, you know, for, for women and being a single woman, most of my adult life and buying jewelry for myself We've promoted that, you know, from day one. And I have customers who would come in because of a promotion and buy a set of diamond earrings. And then when they receive their next promotion, they would come in and trade them up or get another piece. So we have promoted career carrots. And so the idea behind career carrots is women telling their stories of of what they've purchased and what, going back to storytelling, why did they purchase this and for what occasion? So we've done things like that, but those are the type of programs that even though we've trademarked them, I want to be able to offer to retailers all over the U.S. So fun. I love that. It makes me think of all the ways that men get to celebrate by buying a watch, you know, when they have 
some milestone event or some promotion and how that seems so ingrained in our, our industry. But I had a conversation with somebody sort of unrelated this morning. It was about watches, but she talked about content and context and content was the properties, the, you know, objective qualities of the watch. Oh, it's, you know, got this kind of movement. It's got that kind of uh, power reserve, just these very clinical details about the watch. But then the context was the story. And she was like, context is what makes you fall in love. 100%. And, you know, I grew up, you know, I'm from a pretty poor family in Eastern Kentucky. And for me, it's not, I've said this kind of jokingly, but I've meant it, you know, it's not the size of the diamond, it's the size of your story. What matters to you is what should matter to all of us. Speaking of, you know, you talk about people's stories and, and you know, treating them as an individual Obviously, sometimes in, in online, in an online environment, that kind of personal aspect gets lost, right? Because you're dealing over it. Definitely. Yeah. How do you maintain that? Well, part of that, Rob, goes back to, you know, how we like to shop as people. There's sometimes all I want is what I want, and I want to be able to get it when I want it. I think there's a part of all of us that needs that ability to be able to shop whenever we want, the way that we want. I think what independents can do better than anyone else is that, so this is ordered online and they decide they want it sent to the store. I mean, we, we did this during COVID so much. We gift wrapped them and then we delivered it to them at their house. It's those special touches, I think, that can separate us from ordering something from Amazon. You know, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Are you big on things like video conferencing and, and, and chat functions? And I think texting is absolutely amazing. I can't believe how many of our customers text us on our website. We have tried to do some Zoom with some customers. I don't think it's something that they feel as comfortable with. I think that they love getting videos and receiving that. I think they want your... You know, if I'm their trusted person they've talked to for years, they want my opinion. But video conferencing has not been as popular with our customers as texting and still sending either videos or pictures to them that way. I think that makes perfect sense. So last question, slight two-parter. A, are you going to JCK Las Vegas? I can't wait. <laughs> okay, good. Good answer. And then B, I can't help but ask because obviously you're so in tune with trends and styles. And, you know, are you shopping for any specific pieces? Is there anything on your shopping list that you think other retailers would be wise to also consider? You know, one of the things, Victoria, that I love, you know, as we grow Jim and Jewel is to be able to share with retailers and wholesalers what's trending in certain areas and being able to find certain pieces that we don't carry. You know, someone asked me with this, is this something that would replace trade shows? Trade shows are never going away because we need that person-to-person -person contact. Because right now our industry is such a closed door. If I want to find a set of pearl earrings, I'm giving you this example because this happened at Christmas, that my traditional pearl vendors did not carry these big hoops that are very fashionable and having pearls scattered throughout them. I had to call so many independent pearl wholesalers, get access to their website to even go on and see if they had something. 
What I want Jim and Jewel to be able to do is to save both that wholesaler and that retailer a ton of time by being the retailer to go through and use Jim and Jewel as that electronic catalog. So this is where I see wanting to spend a vast majority of my time is, is helping these other retailers that I understand where where they are. I'm in the ditches with them and let's let's change how we do business. You seem upbeat about the future. You seem optimistic. I'm very optimistic. You know, I think we're in a place that we realize how important our relationships are. They're you know, there have been many people that have passed away this past 12 months that I've known with COVID. And, you know, a lot of times jewelry and timepieces say what you can't necessarily say. So I think people are looking for meeting. I think we just have to help them find it. Thanks for listening to The Jewelry District. I'm Natalie Comet, the producer of the podcast. Our editor is Olivia Briley. If you like what you've heard, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast wherever you may listen. We hope you join us next time on The Jewelry District by JCK.